And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. Monday afternoon, the sun is shining. It's April 3rd. There is a week left, actually less in the regular season, before the play-in tournament. We have the dribblings of a new collective bargaining agreement that will stave off any potential labor issues for the next six to seven years. Hallelujah. We have zero Western Conference playoff series set in anything like stone, not even limestone, as we head into the last week of the season with four teams, count them four, tied at spots five, six, seventh, and eighth with 38 losses, two of whom play each other in the last week of the season. Bobby Marks, how are you? Hey, Zach. Oh, man, I'm good. And the Mets are 3-1. and one. How about that? I told I told a couple buddies this weekend there will be a year where I reinvest emotionally in the New York Mets. It is doesn't appear like it's going to be this year, but it's going to. They're three. That, that's good, right? I thought someone got hurt like celebrating in the World Baseball Classic, that, and it's a that, disaster. That, we don't we don't talk about that. We just look at the standings right now. That's all we got to worry about. All right, let's start. We're going to do a bunch of stuff today, but yeah. the two the two biggest and best races that I wanted to get into with the Bucks. Celtics and Sixers, not quite locked into one, two, and three, but pretty close. And one to five in the East is getting pretty close to being done. And even six and seven. Um, and similarly, one, two, three, almost four in the West. We have the aforementioned race for five to eight in the Western Conference. Five gets you Phoenix likely in the first round. Of course, seven and eight get you in the play-in in the first round. And then we have the race for eight in the East between Chicago, Toronto, and Atlanta. And I kind of like, by the way, one of the concerns with the play-in when it first happened was, well, if there's like a great race for the eighth seed, it's going to kind of get ruined because they're all going to be in the play-in tournament. I think the opposite is proven true. Like that race for eight and a spot in the upper half of the play-in bracket between these three 500-ish teams is actually kind of fun, like going into the season, the end of the season in Chicago and Atlanta play each other this week in a game with the kind of tiebreaker implications that make my brain hurt as we get to the end of the season. But let's start in the West because this is just crazy after the events of the weekend. The Clippers, 41-38, and 38, currently in the fifth spot. Their tiebreaker over the Warriors hurts my brain. I shouldn't say over, it just is. It, it exists. They have won the tiebreaker against the Lakers, lost it to the Pelicans. The Warriors go to Denver, no Nikola Jokic, and lose. They are 41-38, and 38, currently sitting in sixth. The Lakers, whoo, baby, 40-38, mm. mm. 14-6 and six in their last 20. With Austin Reeves, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis on the floor, in 307 minutes, they are plus 119, plus 14 per 100 possessions. Kicking ass is what that translates to. Their new starting lineup makes a lot of sense. Their non-Vanderbilt, oh, we need better spacing options, are working. And uh, they play the Clippers this week um, in what might be the biggest Lakers-Clippers game of all time. As I talked about last week, and I was sort of saying it half facetiously, facetiously, having not done the proper research, I think it actually might be. And then the Pelicans, quietly with nobody watching, 9-4 and four in their last 13 games, none of which have featured Zion Williamson. Obviously, he's played 114 games in four years. That's like you just never play. But he's ramping up. 
always and forever ramping up, never ramping down, never ramping sideways, always ramping up. And they have just played tough ass basketball. Brandon Ingram is on the best stretch of his entire career, doing it all with very little spacing at all. Especially if you just put one of CJ McCollum and Trey Murphy on the bench, he's got no spacing to work with and he's just lighting people up. Those are our four teams. Um, and here's how tight it is, Bobby. Looking at uh, a couple of sites that I like to use, playoffstatus.com. Here are the current percentage chance each of these teams finishes with the sixth seed, according to, the, according to playoffstatus.com. Clippers, 21%. Warriors, 30%. Lakers, 22%. Pelicans, 22%. Basketball reference, current, current chances of finishing with the sixth seed. Pelicans, 22%. Clippers, 22%. Lakers, 21%. Warriors, 30%. That's how close it is for all of these seeds. Whew, where do you want to start? I don't even know where to start. This is just, this is, and, and, and again, this is, you can play Phoenix. All of these teams, if there are a way for them to pay penance to the basketball gods and somehow get the sixth seed, that's all of them would want that. We might get to the very last day of the season, and somebody on that day has the ability to manipulate the standings to that effect. But right now, I just read you all their records. There ain't no manipulation to be done because as juicy as that sixth seed looks and as ugly as that fifth seed looks, not ugly, but just the Suns are the Suns right now. Not not really even clicking, but still winning every game with Durant. Um, even the fifth seed and facing Phoenix in, in the first round is still better than a chance at the seventh seed and facing Memphis in the first round, but you might not even get there because it's the play-in. Where do you want to start? Or should we start outside of this with the disaster unfolding in Dallas and Minnesota? Well, let, let's start with the Lakers just because they can control, right? They control things as far as, I guess, their destiny here. And, and you look at, I mean, what they've got, they're out at Utah, right? Then they've got the Clipper game on Wednesday and then Phoenix and Utah again. That's their four games there. I mean, they very easily could run the table here, and you could be staring at a Phoenix Lakers first round match in the four or five. I mean, that's that's what we're in that top bracket of the playoffs is basically like the group of death, right? Because you got Denver up there also, and whoever they play in that one eight matchup. I mean, that's no offense to Sacramento or, or Memphis here, but um, the bracket, the top part is awfully, awfully tough here. So I think we got to start with the, with the Lakers here, as far as what they've been able to do, as far as what this roster. And I think, yeah, get them getting to five or to six is a lot better than being at seven and having two cracks to get into the playoffs. It buys you extra, it buys you what an extra week of rest. So you got LeBron, um, you get AD who, you know, he's got, you know, if he's got an ankle, um, you know, in the game, he actually uh, has two ankles. He actually yeah. has two ankles, Bobby. Like most, like most people, he's got two <laughs> well, ankles. Well, one that he was a little bit hindered in that Minnesota game here. Um, but I, and, and you've got D'Angelo Russell dealing with a sore foot. So you, it buys them an extra week. So if I was a betting man a week out from the, uh, you know, from the season ending, I think we, 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 you know, we, funny, we talked about the Lakers just getting into the plane. I think we could make an argument for Lakers being in, a, in that five hole. Well, again, at Utah, quote unquote, at Clippers, 
home to the Suns and the Jazz, they could get the JV versions of three of those teams. Utah twice, although Utah's been frisky and they've been playing Markkanen for the most part. And Phoenix could be locked in to four at that point and decide for whatever reason, yeah, we don't we don't feel we don't feel like playing. And like Phoenix Phoenix hasn't even started clicking. Like I, I talked about them a lot last week, so I'm not gonna do do much more of it here, but it's still kind of station to station, figuring it out, not a ton of flow, but the flow is starting to trickle in. And even just that is so powerful with those three dudes on the floor at the same time. And eight and two has got to be included because of the pressure he puts on the rim. They're just not going to be very fun to face. Um, I think the Lakers are, look, Anthony Davis in the last month has been for the most part dominant Anthony Davis. In the last five games, four of them, he's gone over 37 points or more. LeBron does not look all the way back as we would expect, you know, everybody but the LeBron of feet that he consulted with told him that he would need surgery. So we should not expect him to look like peak freight train all the time. LeBron looks pretty damn good, all things considered. I think they're a legitimate threat. People want to know what that means. I don't know the percent chance that I'd put on them winning the West because all of these teams can beat each other. And so by default, all of them have sort of like a a not very good chance to win the West. I think they have a chance to win the West. I think the Lakers, if they stay healthy, could actually make the finals. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think legitimate chance is not being one of these, like, you know, we had talked about them as being a team that was the ninth or 10th seed, right? Now you got to win basically two games and then you're faced with Denver. I mean, that is, that's a tall task. I mean, based on what happens next, what would have happened next week. Um, and then you got to go on the road and they're still like, they're still going to go on the road for a playoff game. But um, it, there's a big difference. As I said, going from a playing team, not a seven, eight seed, but a playing team to a top five team in the Western, in the, in the Western conference. LeBron Durant in the first round would, that would be just them meeting again you know, conjuring up the images of Durant hitting that pull-up three over him in the first Warriors-Cavs finals uh, in game three. You think that's the 5 o'clock NBA TV game on Saturday? No, but without <laughs> without the Pacers in the playoffs, that slot is sort of open. Um, it, it's kind of the Hawks to lose if, if they get in. got Toronto, right? Don't, don't, don't you dare besmirch, besmirch the city of Toronto, the nation of Canada, and the team that was named because Jurassic Park was popular <laughs> when it was formed. Um, we do still have Toronto. Uh, what were we talking about? Oh, by the way, I just, I, I'm going to repeat this until the NBA decides to do it. Where the hell is this in the collective bargaining agreement? With the play-in tournament, Denver's not dominated the West, but has been comfortably ahead of the West the whole year. They're kind of loaf, loafing to the finish line, resting Jokic, all this. They, the number one seed in each conference should get to pick its opponent from between the two teams that come out of the play-in tournament because, I I mean, all of these teams are going to be dangerous uh, to Denver. I think New Orleans is the least dangerous unless Zion comes back and Zion comes back at at 90% and is all of a sudden like, oh, my God, we've got to play Zion in the first round. But I I just, stylistically, they would probably like to avoid the Warriors uh, after what happened in last season's playoffs. that's, That's my... That's I, why is that not even a? Th- I, I know why it's not a thing. I people, the NBA doesn't like that idea. I think the play-in has made that a better idea than it even was before. I was even thinking like, and I agree with you there. I was even thinking, and this is another can of worms here, is, is that the mid-season tournament winner automatically gets a bid to the playoffs, no matter what happens for the rest of the season. No, that's crazy talk. 
Because you crazy. know what happened. The the load management effect that we that everyone's trying to curb, you'd get you'd have guys basically uh, in like uh, in, in Cabo for March and April getting ready for for the playoffs. I'm not ready to talk about the midseason tournament yet. Um, the David Stern Cup. Uh, let's zoom out for a second. The Dallas Mavericks are 37 and 42. They currently have the 10th worst record in the NBA. They owe a top 10 protected first-round pick to the New York Knicks via the Chris Stapps Porzingis trade of many eons ago, the last price they've got to pay for that. They are just a half game ahead of the Utah Jazz, and there are already rumblings from the Athletics' Shamstrania today that they might shut down Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving for the rest of the season. The goal, obviously, being can we flip-flop with Utah and have the ninth-worst record and have a really, really good chance of keeping our pick and kicking that obligation down the road, which has its own, which has its own penalties for them, too, in terms of like limited trade flexibility. Because that, that doesn't immediately convert this year, right? That rolls over if they keep it. Yeah, 24 and 25. Um, so that's not ideal, but it's just a pretty good draft to give yourself the ninth-best odds at whatever, at, the, at Victor Wimbanyama or whatever it ends up being. Um, I honestly didn't think they would reach this stage. I didn't think they would. I, I just thought it would be too embarrassing for them, too, too offensive to Luca, who has been so frustrated with their losing. And by the way, his body language and incessant whining is probably in some way contributing to the completely poisonous environment around there. Um, I just think if that's what they end up doing, and, and again, they're a game out of the Thunder, but they're really two games out with three to play because the Thunder, who have been trying to give, not trying, but who have been losing and, and giving Dallas every chance to get back into this, and Dallas cannot take advantage of any of them. What an embarrassing, what an embarrassing turn of events for the Mavericks. And not an indictment on Kyrie, an indictment on just the haphazard roster construction over years and years and years and years that ends with you playing JaVale McGee and Christian Wood at the same time. One guy who's against Atlanta in overtime trying to win. One guy, your mid-level exception splurge, has been out of the rotation the whole year. Other guy you traded a first-round pick for in a trade that I liked. Again, I liked. And he's just never, Christian Wood, been able to earn the trust of Jason Kidd. And I don't know if you saw any of the Dallas-Miami game. I think it was on Saturday, Saturday. or yeah. Friday. I can't remember which. Saturday. One of, the, one of those strange games where like Miami just goes up by 12 early in the game. And because the Mavericks just can never get any stops for any consistent period of time, it's just the game was like a 10-point game the entire time. It was never 6. It was never 15. It was, it was just trading baskets. Trading baskets. And we all knew their defense would be a disaster after this trade, after trading Finney Smith and, and, and just making yourself so small across the board. Such a bad rebounding team. But, man, I mean, you just... I just didn't see a scenario where they would ever be this far under 500 and this far down the standings with Luca being healthy. Well, I mean, even the Atlanta game on Sunday night, I mean, the Hawks, I mean, there was a point where it was a layup line after layup line. And, and since I think since the, the, the Irving trade, um, and this has nothing to do really with Kyrie, but you know, Dallas is what 29th in the league and giving up layups and dunks um, as far as percentage wise. Um, it was, there was a layup line in the Atlanta game. However, there was a stretch where the Hawks basically gave, allowed Dallas to come back in this because their next nine possessions were all threes. 
So that's why the Mavericks kind of crept back into this thing here. And you went with, yeah, you're, I mean, you went with the JaVale McGee, Christian Wood, Kyrie, Luca. I don't know who the fifth was out there. Uh, Josh uh, Green. Josh Green um, lineup last night. And you look at, you look at the, the standings, like they've got SAC, Chicago, San Antonio. That's your next three, all at home, right? Like you, you go two and one in Oklahoma city goes, they can go and three golden state at golden state at Utah at Memphis. Who knows who's playing what, you know, who knows if any of these, you know, that golden state game is huge stuff like that. They might, they could get in by like default almost, but it, but the wild card as you, you, you open this is about does Irving and Luca get shut down to preserve that pick from a front office perspective, Zach, it's in the best interest of the organization to keep that pick. Oh, there's no question. It's just keep that. There's the optics, no question. The optics stink, right? The optics stink. But you I mean you basically have already gone down the we already lost we already lost Brunson for nothing. Um, we have limited assets. We have no second round pick we can trade. We owe Brooklyn a 2029 first. We Ooh. owe these conditions on um, you know, on the this New York pick that's top 10. This draft is a lot better than next year, projected wise. Um, keep a the ninth pick in the draft or the tenth pick in the draft to keep or move in another deal because let's face it, your options this off season are retaining Kyrie Irving. Okay, oh, oh, sorry, or my, stomach, my stomach just exploring signing trades with him, or. Like we, they've talked about cap space and all that stuff. Like I got news for you. Like you got like what thirty million dollars of cap space. You can go out and try to retool with eight guys under contract. You've got no Irving, Christian Wood, Dwight Powell, that whole group here, and you've basically are you're basically as we say like you're at the ATM machine, right? And there's just like you you've got limited left on your debit card right now. As you said, all they if they shut them down. All they're doing is what the incentive structure of the NBA says that they should do at this point. I just remember two weeks ago we were on I was in LA doing NBA today. We were talking about the Warriors Mavericks game, the one that's under protest. And I said, to date, this is the biggest game of the entire season because it's going to decide the tiebreak between the two of them. I think they were like in sixth and seventh at that point. They're one and six since that game. And I think it just that game just started this spiral for them that they've been unable to come. I just never, I just never imagined they would lose to everybody all the time and find themselves here. The other big loser of the weekend, the Minnesota Timberwolves have now Ooh. lost have now lost uh, three straight games after looking decent in Cats' first couple of games back. Lakers lost. The Lakers are just better than them. For them to lose to the Portland Trail Blazers yesterday at home in Minnesota, a Blazers team playing zero of five starters, zero. They are playing backups in this game that I had to look up a couple of guys that they were playing in the game. And I watched the second half this morning. I got up. I was like, I got to watch at least half this game. I already watched a couple games. So I got they, they, I got to see what happened. Their transition defense was so abominable the entire game. And Carl Anthony Towns, I don't know if did you see the box score? Yes. He took three I, yeah. shots. I thought he was hurt. Three. Two of them were within the first two and a half minutes of the second half. And I'm like, he took one other shot the entire game. If you lost if you watch the last five minutes of that game, he's in foul trouble a lot of it. But if you watch the last four or five minutes when he's in the game, he's 
half of it, he's literally standing, just standing, arms at his sides. He could be a statue. They could have just put a statue on the floor for these offensive possessions, and it would have functionally been as involved as Carl Towns, other than a statue wouldn't have been able to catch the ball in the event that it randomly ended up being flung in his direction. Just an all-time disaster loss, and this illness that has been going through their team, people puking, feeling horrible, apparently it had run its course, and that was just like a straight-up loss that takes them... I mean, it's going to take a miracle now for them to get out of the 9-10 bracket. And that's whew, that's a tough pill to swallow. That's a tough pill to swallow when you make the kind of moves they did. Well, I mean, and you're all in. I mean, like, you look at where they are. I mean, and you're right. I mean, they out west, they had that, that good stretch. They had a great win in Golden State. Um, they had a great win. Was it in L.A.? In, in one of the L.A.'s um, before that? Um you're right. The, the the Laker lost. Hey, Lakers just they they turned it on in, in in the third quarter and fourth quarter here. But for a team that's playing out the string in Portland, and now you you're this is you've basically dug out of the hole to put yourself in position to to be at seven and eight, and now you've taken a step back and you're at you're at Brooklyn, at San Antonio, New Orleans. That's your next. That's your three here. And then you know like we could talk off season all we want, but this is kind of this is who they are, right? Like this is kind of like. You're basically at the end of the day, you're gonna have three players that are gonna be you're gonna be tied into making, I don't know, 120 million dollars. Edwards, uh, Gobert, and, and Towns in the in the future, like that. This is this is who they are right now. I mean, I said the day they traded for Gobert that the way out of this, and it's not the optimal way. It's just the obvious way. Is they're gonna they're, they're gonna have to trade Cat. If if they if they do and eventually want to extricate themselves, not extricate, but just open up another path for their team, that's the that's the only that's the only big way to do it. Um, just that is a, I, I I think I heard on TV this morning the Blazers were nineteen and a half point underdogs in that game, and that made it the biggest outright upset of the year in the NBA. I, someone put a stat out there in, from Minnesota. Um, they're what are they number one in the league in 10 point um digit blown leads 10 plus this year nice i think chicago's like right behind them right you know but i mean but goodness gracious wouldn't put that one at the front of the game the pr game notes no for the wolves um all right let's go back clippers um 41 and 38 uh they play the lakers the blazers at the suns in their last three games of the season um they they are missing Paul George. Eric Gordon missed the game over the weekend. Um, Russell Westbrook is playing the best he's played in a long time. What have you noticed about the Clippers in the last week, and what are you looking at at them going forward? They could still, I mean, they are fifth right now. Yeah, I mean, the you know, rewind it a little bit. The Memphis game they won, you know, the first game they won. It reminded me a lot of uh, Westbrook with the Lakers a year ago, that Charlotte Friday. I don't remember you remember that Friday I night do. Charlotte I do. where they had nobody, right? Like they, it was basically him on an island by himself and he like basically like exploded. And that was kind of like, you know, that Memphis game they had, he had, he was basically like him and a bunch of role players, right? Um, so you split that. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to Wednesday. It comes down to the Laker game, right? Like that's what it comes down to as far as 
hanging on for um because you've got the lakers portland at phoenix like that phoenix game likely probably doesn't mean much for the suns i don't think it does um and you've got you know you've got quite i mean it's basically you're just you're in survival mode right now right like that's that's how i see it for for uh for the clippers um i just i, I watched their pelicans game on saturday Pelicans beat them 122-114, kind of going away in the end. Kawhi, had, Kawhi and B.I. were on like an old-school mid-range duel. Kawhi ended up with 40, I think. And I know that a lot of this is because Paul George is injured, right? And so you're missing 38 minutes in big games, 40 minutes in big big games of rock-solid, two-way, superstar-level production that you pen in. But it just struck me watching that game you know, they closed the game with, I think, three guards. I think it was Mann, Westbrook, and Powell with Kawhi at the four and Zubats. So that's about as small as they get when they're not playing uh, their five-out lineups, which they've essentially just done away with since acquiring Mason Plumlee. They play a center almost every second of the game. And then earlier in that game, they were playing super big lineups where Kawhi is, I guess, kind of the two. Maybe it, with it was Russ... Kawhi Batum Covington, who's suddenly been resurrected out of out of the out of mothballs, and Zubats, and so that we they have both Covington and Batum on the floor at the same time. Covington's now playing with their traditional centers, which is something Ty Lue was reluctant to do. The whole idea of Covington was he was supposed to be their small ball center, and it just like you watch them toggle between these layups. And again, Gordon was out, and Paul George was out. And so they're missing a couple of key components. But it's like, man, they still kind of don't know quite what they want to do and when they want to do it. Morris is out of the rotation now. Um, just kind of just kind of chaotic. And then you have the thing where Kawhi played the first half against Memphis on Friday, didn't play the second half. And then Russ, after the game, told reporters, this is according to the LA Times, yeah, we didn't know that Kawhi was going to do that. We found out, you know, when 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 everybody else did. And and for, first, I could see the Clippers people being like, "Russ, I know you're new here. You're not supposed to say stuff like that. You're not supposed <laughs> to say stuff like that about Kawhi. Just just leave it be." But it's like, really? They didn't know the other players are like, "What are we doing here? What's happening?" Well, I mean, and that it comes down to. I mean, this has almost been a theme the whole. It's been the theme the whole year, and now you just have different faces. Now you have you know Gordon Plumley, Bones Highland added to the mix here, where you basically haven't had the same, whether it be lineups, whether it be load management, whether it be there's always something here that you know you're you're hoping that your your goal was you were going to get to the last two weeks of the season. Then you were going to find out like who you are, what your identity is. You know, you, that's kind of where your strength is. And then you throw the George injury into the mix here. And you're basically, it's almost like studying for a test, like the night before finals here. And man, when you go all in, you, you better hope you get the, the right questions are going to be on that test for you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's almost like they've been studying for the same test four years in a row now. And here we are. Warriors, 41-38. and 38. They finish versus Oklahoma City at SAC at Portland. They go 3-0, and and that's in play because uh, the Thunder are struggling. The Kings have kind of been meh for the last couple of weeks and, and are feeling the sort of, okay, we, di we did the hard work of our regular season now kind of phase of their – I mean, when you lose to the Spurs at home with uh, – Dominic Barlow playing crunch time minutes, among others. 
you've reached that point of your season. So they are actually, that's why to me, they have the, the, a slightly better, they have the best chance of all these teams, according to some of these projection systems of at least staying out of the play in. Um, and if they could slide to six, Woj reported today, Andrew Wiggins is scheduled to return this week to the team and they need him. Everyone's saying, well, his defense, defense, defense. Yeah, they need that because they're kind of papering over his absence by playing three guard lineups, starting Kaminga when they need a guy to defend big wings like Brandon Ingram, et cetera. But it's not just his defense. It's his spot up shooting. It's his cutting. He, he fit. It's his offensive rebounding. Like he fit right in. He didn't fit right in, but after a year or so of playing for them, he figured out how to find his spots offensively in that system. And then you throw in his defense. They're just, there are one team with him and one team without him. And if they have him and they have him at, at something like full go, I still think they could win the West, particularly if they land in that sixth spot. I'll tell you right now, apologies to Kings fans. If it's full strength Warriors against full strength Kings, I'm picking the Warriors. Well, and, and you know, people can make, I know their road record is, you know, it is what it is. It's nine and 30. I can't, you know what? Just that alone. I'm now regretting already preemptively picking the Warriors in a series that might not happen. They're nine and 30 on the road. I just don't understand anything that's going on with them. I give up. All you need to do is steal one. That's all you need to do. Split the series, split the two games to start. That's all you need. And I think you go into Sacramento. If that's, let's say if that's what it is in a three, six matchup first game in, 16 years in Sacramento. I think I think this, the Kings team will probably be a little bit little bit tight. I mean, I mean, shoot, I'm just rewinding the clock back and looking at in 2002 in New Jersey, that team had no playoff experience, and that Indiana team rolled in, and we were as tight as can be, and wound up losing Game One. So, hey, you get Wiggins back, and we'll see where he is. He probably won't play. What are they? They're Tuesday. They play right. Is that go Oklahoma City? I think. Um, if, he, if we'll see where he is in that sack and Portland game here, but if, if he's back, he gives you, you know, it's, it's a different team. If there was no Wiggins here, I would say that the likelihood is that, you know, this team doesn't get out of the first round, which is incredible to think about. And right now they are losing the tie break to the Clippers, the Lakers and the Pelicans. They have already lost the Lakers and the Pelicans tie breaks. They can win the Clippers tie break by finishing with the same division record as the Clippers, which is still in play. And then it would pivot to conference record, and they're going to be ahead of the Clippers in conference record. But right now they are behind in all three tie breaks, and just there's just no consistency to them at all. But when they have everyone, I keep saying it, the numbers and even the eye test for at least you know like three straight games here, two straight games there, suggest to me they know how to flip a switch at least at home. I mean, I just can't believe that. I still just don't have any understanding other than they foul a little bit more on the road and opponents uh, on the road are shooting like a gazillion percent from three. Um, well, I mean, if, if, I mean, if you go back to that, it was the New Orleans game, you know, the, from the mid third, I guess mid third quarter to the fourth quarter. I mean, can you put together, you know, four quarters of that, right? Can you put together four quarters consistently like that? That's, I mean, that's your kind of your little bit of body of work there. And that was without Wiggins. New Orleans Pelicans, 40 and 38. Their last four games are home against the Kings, home against the Grizzlies, home against the Knicks. Now, the Grizzlies and the, all three of those teams a week and a half ago were like, boy, they might urgently need those games. And now that may not be the case anymore. And then at Minnesota, 
who may urgently need that final game and may not need it at all. Maybe just ninth at that point, ninth with a instead of a bullet. Um, and they've had a hellacious schedule. The Pelicans have for the last month. And there was a, there was about a 25, 30 game stretch where they were one of the worst offensive teams in the league. Even when BI came back, CJ McCollum's thumbs has been bothering him all season. Obviously no Zion. They have, they have not just righted the ship. They've like righted the ship and flipped all the motors on and they are playing really, really well. I mentioned Ingram, Trey Murphy, at the beginning of the season, it was he was clearly an improved defensive player. Like he was like offering legit help and sometimes blocking his own guy's shot. And it was the Eric Gordon like twenty eight foot threes that he was making. You know the super spacing yep. threes. Now it's like he can kind of run you a secondary pick and roll, pump and go off the dribble against closeouts and make a floater. Like his off the dribble game is starting to come. And I think an underrated run one is other than getting some guys back healthy, is in the last couple of weeks, either they have made a renewed focus on getting Jonas Valanciunas involved, or he has said, give me the goddamn ball because I'm Goliath, and if I'm Goliath against someone who's not my equal, I can Goliath my way to like 20 and 15 if you just give me the damn ball. And he's gotten it, and he's scored. And by the way, they're tied for fifth in points allowed per possession. Effort, coaching, talent I don't know what it is it's all those things but Willie Green's done a great job keeping this team steady and if they got if they ever got Zion back and he were ready to actually play in the postseason at 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 full blast like they're, they're scary and they haven't had Alvarado who's a big part of their team they have zero shooting when one of McCollum and Trey Murphy is on the bench I mean they're playing like Ingram and four total non-shooters and they're making it work and they're they they're they're also fun to watch. Like I I didn't see this run coming. Um, I didn't write them off, but I they faded to the back of my brain like three four weeks ago, and they've just roared right back. And again, if they got Zion back, like I want to face them. Well, I mean, I mean, and things really could have gone south. You know, they had that 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 whole that away series in Houston. You they lost the first game there, um, and now and things were like like is this team. Is this team even going to make the plan? Are they having fun anymore? Um, and then they go out and win that game, and they—they're basically—and this is without Zion. They're all—they're like the team that we saw in that Phoenix series, that, uh, not last year, but that little mini series back in—I don't know when that was, December. It was like a Friday, the, the, you know, the Zion windmill um, broke the, um, you know, the unwritten rules record as far as that. Like that was—that's the team that looks like right now because there was a 25 game stretch when when he got hurt where this team looked like like a they weren't having fun they lost their identity they lost their edge a little bit here and now we're um you know as far as they're i mean you're right 40 and 38 i mean they could at the minimum you know could host you know at least one game here and they have the tiebreaker over the Clippers. They have the tiebreaker over the Warriors. They do not have. They have lost the tiebreaker um, against the Lakers. So they're actually not in bad shape either. And I read you their last games. Like three of those games are at home. They're good at home. Really good story. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. 
One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's transition uh, to some CBA talk because you were at the forefront of our reporting on this over the weekend. On Saturday morning at 2 o'clock, there was an announcement that the union, Players Union and the NBA have agreed on a new revised collective bargaining agreement that will last for another six or seven years, depending on opt-outs and all that, which is great news for fans. Number one, great news for fans. I think the headline of it is probably this second apron above the current apron i'm calling this the lead apron the apron where you the apron they put on you at the dentist's office when you're getting your teeth x-rayed and it's like oh my god this thing is heavy this new thing is the lead apron and it's currently set it's going to be set i guess 17 and a half million dollars above the luxury tax and the clear target is the warriors and the clippers and the nets the three teams who have been outspending everybody and, and not really getting a lot of bang for their buck uh at least this year the warriors did win the title last year um and we're still learning a lot, and none of this is final yet. I mean, the term sheet is going to come out, we think, soon, but none of this is final. But the idea is if you spend over that amount, you don't just get taxed a gazillion dollars for every dollar. You are going to now have really extreme roster-building restrictions placed on you. Among those are no mid-level exception. Now, currently, they have the baby mid-level exception, which is... The Dante DiVincenzo, Joe Ingles, it's like six million bucks a year. It's a real thing. No, you don't get that. You don't get to trade first round picks as far out into the future as other teams. You don't get all these other goodies that other teams are going to have to build their rosters that we're going to talk about. You don't get to send cash in trades, which is a big deal because that's a nice lubricant. Um, And although the players are keeping 51% of all basketball related income, although they are getting an additional almost $200 million thrown into that pie, the overall BRI pie from various from the league's licensing stuff, which they did not have access to before. So that's like $80, $90 million going to the players. So they're getting the same amount in the, in the percentage. They're getting the same percentage of a bigger pie. Nothing has changed in terms of the sort of total pool of money. This is meant to distribute it differently. And it's not a hard cap. It's not a what was it uh, upper spending upper limit. Upper spending limit, yeah. It's a it's a harder soft cap. I think the fear articulated by Draymond Green over the weekend is this will almost act like a hard cap because the roster building limitations are so punitive um, that that maybe it will act like that. What is your reaction to that? 
Uh, well, you also have to include that the, the likelihood is that you won't be able to take back additional salary in a trade, you know, as far as, so if you send out a player um, that's making 35 million, you can't take back a player making 40. So like the James Harden trade to Brooklyn in 2021 likely doesn't happen in that manner, right? Like kind of the, 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 the parts there. So that restricts that it's basically kind of you know it's basically 100 percent. it's got to be dollar for dollar you can't sign a buyout player either player that's bought out of ooh. his contract that's another one there um i think yeah ooh, i think I there just was said, a- ooh, that was my response to the buyout. <laughs> ooh <laughs> there i think yeah i mean i saw draymond's quotes and i think there is an overreaction to it because it, this is all going to be phased in this is not like starting um just july one like all of a sudden like the you know the clamps come down on the second apron, it basically is going to allow you to the lead apron, the lead, lead apron. apron. We got to get lead, this. The, this has got to be what it's called. The lead apron, as far as it, it's going to allow you to kind of get your house in order. So who knows two years from now where Golden State's going to be? If Draymond's on the roster or Clay Thompson's on the roster or the, the guys in with the Clippers, um, Kawhi and, and Paul George, that player's there. But it's basically it curbs spending outside of your own players, your own players that you've drafted, your own players that you might have traded for, your own players that you have signed as free agents, that when you get to a certain level, which is the lead apron, which is basically 17 and a half million above the luxury tax, and the luxury tax is going to increase significantly with media rights, with the additional revenue coming in here that you can't, you know, you can't, you can't sign a mid-level, a tax mid-level guy. I mean, at the end of the day, I know that's being eliminated the tax mid-level. On average, I think it was 2.5 players were signed per year to the taxpayer mid-level in that rate. DiVincenzo is oh, probably wow. the, the best name. John Wall, Joe Ingles. It would have hurt Milwaukee. Joe Ingles would not be in, in a Milwaukee uniform here. So I understand it from the, the perspective of, you know, from the league. Um, I think from the perspective of the Players Association, you know, the trade-off is, is that, everything else increases the regular mid-level exception increases um we'll get there we'll get we'll get get there but for for this for this here like there was listen from what was initially proposed i mean i mean draymond can call can talk to andre guadal i mean the likelihood is that what the league proposed was a hard a true hard cap true hard cap which was going to be basically a little bit north of what the tax what the luxury tax was this year which was 150 million dollars like that that's what you were facing and then basically what happens there is the teams like Oklahoma City and Orlando and all these other teams that are building through the draft you're going to basically get to a point you got to pick right am I picking Jalen Williams am I picking Josh Giddy well you just nailed my number one concern because you know, I remember going going through this in 2011 with the the big lockout. Yeah. And when there was also talk of a hard cap and asking economists this this sort of like what is what why what is the mega objection to the hard cap by and and I was playing devil's advocate but I was also curious if players are guaranteed as a whole it was then 57% became 51% of all basketball related income, they're getting that money regardless. The the cap and tax system governs to some degree how it is distributed amongst the membership of the players union, but they're getting the same pool of money. Why is the hard cap such a non-starter? And I kind of knew some of the answers, but a lot of the economists told me at the time, because the harder it gets, the firmer it gets, 
the more teams are just going to say, we need to prioritize our stars and save up our cap flexibility to retain and or get more stars. And the middle class is the one that will end up losing the harder the cap is. We'll see if that ends up being the case here. That's kind of what Draymond is getting at to some degree. The other thing is, I just still think there need to be, you know, I would I five years ago now I wrote this story maybe four years ago about the supermax and just how the supermax is so so um, if it goes bust it just becomes such an albatross for your team. But what are you supposed to do? Like not re-sign this homegrown superstar to a supermax? Like we're talking about John Wall, Russell Westbrook, Blake Griffin, on and on. Blake Griffin didn't get a supermax, but you know Jimmy Butler. The Bulls didn't want to give Jimmy Butler the supermax. That was sort of my poster case of it. It's like the Bulls just voluntarily got out of the Jimmy Butler business in part because they didn't want to pay him this big contract. Guess what? Jimmy Butler is still freaking amazing five years later, and the Bulls are 39 and 40 trying to get into the play-in tournament. Well, into the play-in tournament, trying to up their seating in the play-in tournament. And I, you brought up Oklahoma City, and it's nice that the players are getting all these wins that we're going to talk about, It kind of in exchange for the lead apron. But I look at a team like them, I'm like, man... That lead apron could still come into play for them if they re-sign Shea, Giddy, Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren if he becomes awesome. Lugans Dort is already going to make 18-20 for the next few years. And I just think there should be some tax relief for teams who re-sign their own guys. Maybe you have to limit it to max contracts. I just I don't think that that was my. I mean, I pitched all sorts of crazy ideas. Like maybe you should get an amnesty provision for a thirty-five percent supermax to one of your players if he gets injured, or you want to get off the contract. I just some sort of. I would have liked to have seen some sort of provision preventing a team from having to break itself up because the tax payments to keep it together. And I know they didn't draft Shea, but they drafted all these other guys and they acquired Shea after one year. I I just would have liked to have seen something like that. And I think, and I think they could have, and I, I wrote about it back in, I think it was like November, as far as, you know, putting a tier in where, you know, instead of, um, based on if you were drafted, you're not charged the full amount towards the tax. I think there could have been still a, uh, lead apron where account for team salary, right? You can't, if you exceed that, then all these restrictions that we talked about come into place. However, for luxury tax standpoints, that the, the penalty that you are making, if you're $50 million over the luxury tax, well, instead of being charged a certain amount, that number, that was it four, you know, whatever, four dollars for every dollar is now decreased because you drafted Steph Curry, you drafted Clay Thompson, Looney, um, Draymond. Um, you know, you wouldn't get relief for Andrew Wiggins. You wouldn't have gotten relief for um, you know, Gary Payton. This, you know, those type of players. But I did think there was a way to kind of balance it out where you put that, you know, that that second, that lead apron second tier in there and still give teams still some some tax relief here with the restrictions as far as the inability to add additional salary in trades, the taxpayer mid-level. You can eliminate that and still balance it out. Let's talk about some of the wins for players or I don't know if they're even wins for players some of the the increased flexibility for teams that are not over the lead apron which is 27 of the 30 teams currently you mentioned the mid-level exception the big the big mid-level exception that's going to get bigger we don't know the specifics of it it's going to be bigger yeah you you guys reported over the weekend you and Woj restricted free agency I think is is going to be the qualifying offers are going to be higher yeah 10 percent and with the the qualifying offer 
and yep. the matching period is going to be shorter. Yep, a day. One day. Boom, one day. done. Yep. Um, I think this, this to me is one of the big ones. Going just into the tax by a few million bucks or even eight million bucks, 10 million bucks, whatever it ends up being, is going to be so much less punitive. Yeah. The rates are going to go down once you get right. We, again, the specifics are not out yet, but the rates are right now. It's like every, as soon as you get over it, every dollar is a dollar 50 and you don't get the reimbursement that you get, that the under tax teams get. That 150 is going to be lower. Whatever it is, is going to be much lower to encourage teams to spend into the tax a little bit if their team merits it, but also not to do these like, well, let's just stay right under. We got a duck right under limbo under. Um, so there's that. And we don't know the specifics, but this is the other big one. And you have been agitating for this for a long time. Right now, your tax rate goes up every $5 million you spend over the tax. I don't know what the new figure is going to be, but it's going to be bigger than $5 million. The increments are going to be wider. That's a big deal. And the cool, one of the cooler ones to me that we're going to learn details about going forward is we mentioned all the ways that the lead apron teams can't make trades. Anyone below, I don't know if it's going to be anyone, but some subset of teams below the, the big apron are going to have much more freedom to make trades than they do now. The salary matching is going to be wider, so you can have bigger differentials between what goes in and what comes out. And I heard this today, and I think you've heard the same. If you don't use your mid-level exception, you're going to be able to trade into it like it's a trade exception. Right now, if you don't, if the mid-level exception is just kind of dead money if you don't use it as a free for, as a free agent signing mechanism, that could I, I I could see a team or two being like, let's not use our mid-level exception in free agency this summer to keep it alive, depending on how our season goes as a trade weapon. That that's a little bit of a chilling effect, I guess, but that that's going to give teams more flexibility. That's kind of cool. Those things yeah, are because, cool because the mid-level exception is going to be probably north of twelve million dollars. So it's basically a trade, a twelve million dollar trade exception to either sign a player or trade into. I think the 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 big thing that teams always use that exception was for was for set, signing second round picks. Right, you use you sign a player to a three or four year contract. That money comes out of your your uh, your non tax mid-level exception. So what the league has done now is they've had a second round exception into this where it's a separate exception to whatever everything else you have. So if you sign, if you draft John Smith with a 32nd pick in a draft, you can sign that player to a four-year contract starting at um, with, with a salary at $2 million for the first year. That amount does not come out of your, your, your non-tax mid-level exception. You can sign a, a player to a three-year deal for $1.7 million. And that goes for anyone. So if you're you know, three years from now, Golden State's payroll is, is continually blowing through the roof and you're that lead apron team, you're allowed to still do that. You could still retain because in the past, what would happen is you had your your um you know your non, you know, your non your your tax mid-level exception, you're restricted as far as what you can sign that player for. So this second round exception now adds you know some more value as far as retaining these players, but also having your big exception to whatever however way you want to use it. There's also the players are going to be able to buy equity in teams. And when that first got reported, and this is kind of the danger of this stuff come out in dribs and drabs a little bit, is I thought, oh my God, that seems that seems rife with some pretty obvious conflicts of interest like across the board. And I think uh, the way it is going to work from what I've heard is there are these private equity funds who buy pieces of multiple teams. And players are going to be able to invest in those funds. So there's like a layer separating the players from the teams. And I think 
again, none of this is out yet. None of this is official yet. I think they're only going to be able to invest in funds that own pieces of multiple teams at the same time. So it's not just a fund that has a piece of one team. So you're almost directly having equity in that single team. Same for the WNBA. Players are going to be able to invest in WNBA teams, but I don't think they'll be able to if the WNBA team is owned by an owner who owns an NBA team as well, like Joe Sy owns the New York Liberty and the Brooklyn Nets. That's interesting. I'm kind of TBD on the conflict of interest part of it and whether I see an issue there, but it's an interesting way to do it. And a big, and a win for the players who... (laughs) from what I've heard, proposed some much more aggressive methods of reaping the benefits of, say, a a governor like Robert Sarver buying the Suns for, uh, or selling the Suns, let's say, for an evaluation of like 10 times what he paid for them. I think there were some aggressive proposals for how the players could share in those profits, but those were uh, not, did not get far. Yeah, I mean, I think how the, the, the Players Association looks at things you know moving forward i mean we're in a different age in 2023 than we were in 2011 where you're treating 450 players or even more as like entrepreneurs right as businessmen that can make more make money outside of what their contract states so if you're a player and you want to invest in a team and put 25 million dollars in that that is now allowed the same with wmba team um you know we've talked about gambling can all these other the, all these entities that you weren't allowed. So you're able to now make money off the, the product that you were playing in or in, in another, another endeavor. So um, that comes off, you know, the handcuffs of that comes off. And I think that's, you know, for the player association, you get that, but then you have, to, then you make a trade, right? I mean, that's what negotiations is. That's what something they, they fought for. That's something that CJ McComb wanted in, in the group there, but then you trade, you know, then you make a trade for something else that you have to give back. The other one is the liberalizing of extension rules. And so currently, veteran players can be offered contract extensions starting at 120% of their current salaries up to the max, right? Is that correct? Am I yeah, characterizing to, that right? Yes, correct. And this new deal is going to reportedly increase that to 140% of your current salary. The idea being that players like Zach Levine in the past and Jalen Brown now, who for whom it makes zero sense, even if they wanted to stay with their current teams forever and ever, and they love the city, they love the market, they love the coach, everything, just makes no financial sense for them to do it. And the longer extensions go unsigned, the more the relationship between player and team can grow complicated in ways that maybe do do neither good, but uh, certainly are, are harder to repair if over time, who knows what could happen. Um, this gives teams greater ability and players greater ability to sign major lucrative contract extensions and sort of get forestall any trade drama or free agency drama. Jalen Brown's going to be the test case. And, and there was immediate reaction in, among Boston fans like, all right, this is a great, it's a great deal for us because Jalen Brown at the end of his deal, his deal expires next year, makes 30.7. 120% of that, you start off at like $36 million on your next contract. 140% of that, you start off at $42 million on your next that's, contract. That's the max. And that is the max. It's a max. It's not, not the, the max. max. <laughs> and so the max would be 35% of the cap. Yeah, That's $49 million a year. 
140% doesn't get you to there. Make an All-NBA this season puts that into play and probably ends a lot of drama in Boston. If he doesn't make All-NBA, it's somewhat of an awkward situation where they don't have the 35% max to offer him. They have this 140% max to offer him, and he may want to let it ride and try to make All-NBA again the next year and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I the Brown the Brown situation is I would have loved for and it wouldn't have really impacted Jalen. I'm Jalen. I would have loved for him just to eliminated the you know I want, I know they went from 120 to 140. Eliminate the rule, the extension rule, where you are allowed to extend the player for whatever the percentage of the cap is based on their years of service. I would have I know my friend our friend Kevin Pelton disagreed with me on that, but I think because what happens is with Sabonis still. So he's, it's $15 million more than what the 120% is. Um, DeJounte Murray, he's not signed an extension in Atlanta. For, one, even for 140. For 40, 140 no, even. Not for 140. Um, you know, so with Jalen, as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's like, it's almost like you were in a situation beforehand, you were in a, for the Celtics, you said, well, hey, this is the most we can do. All right, four for one sixty-five. Now, when you bump it up to whatever four for one ninety, which is the max under non the, the max, but not a super max. Now you're saying, wait a minute, this is it's a max contract. So now you put yourself in a little bit more of a predicament here. And um, you know, the one thing, the interesting thing too, they added with um, the extension rules too, is that teams or players are always restricted. If you acquired a player in a trade. Or if you had signed a player to an extension, um, you were restricted as far as the increase. All right. So if you if Christian Wood was acquired by the Mavericks last offseason, they were only allowed to extend them for an additional two seasons and a five percent increase. Now that's changed. Now, now you can extend the player for a total of four seasons, so th- three more years, and one hundred twenty percent off your salary, or one hundred twenty percent off the average player salary. It's basically the the current rule that we're in right now, um, which adds a little bit more, you know, there's a little bit more appeal. So you wouldn't have to be in that holding pattern, you know, six months waiting, you know, Jeremy Grant in Portland, who still has, you know, didn't sign an extension, but you know, those type of players who you trade for, you're able to kind of extend right off the bat. So Kyrie, for example, like if this was next year, like Dallas would have been able to extend Kyrie for more then two for 76, right? They could have gone three for, I don't know what the number, three for 120, for example. Which you might take if you're Kyrie Irving. Um, let's talk about the uh, 65 games played rule. Yeah. Um, that is now going to apply to major awards, all awards. Do we know how many awards it's going to apply to? This is, this is according to you and Woj. Uh, I would think 65? it's, you know, I mean, certainly all NBA. Um, I think certainly defensive player of the year. I think the main, the, you know, the main awards that you got that we have votes to, um, def, you know, most improves, you know, things like that will um, certainly probably all, you know, all, you know, anything, all rookie, all NBA, all these different uh, MVP. Um, I think there would be a list of things here. I think that, I think the interesting thing with six, you know, everyone here is 65 games is that it's not like we're going to look at the box score. To, I mean, the, the John Morant's um, games played tomorrow and be like, oh man, he's six games short. He's not going to make it. Well, we have to go back into the body of work of his whole year. Was there, uh, was there a suspension? Was there, um, were they resting him down the stretch? So it's not cut and dry as far as, 
you know, just because a player misses a game, the, you know, the league and the player association are going to have conditions on here as far as what, what, you know, what counts as a game and what doesn't. So that's what I was, that's what I was going to ask you. I don't know. I didn't know if you were getting, if you were implying that it won't be a black and white, you either get to 65 or you don't. So like someone like take Damian Lillard. Yes. Who's at 58 games and won't get above 58 games and had the best season of his career and is a pretty strong candidate to me for third team all NBA. I don't know if I'll go any higher than that for Damian Lillard if he even makes one of my three all NBA teams. So you're saying and and he won't get to 65 because his team made the decision Correct. to shut him down. You're saying there could be conditions that say, "Okay, you we're going to count you as like a 65 game player basically." Correct. That is correct. Now, if if um, Damian Lillard plays in um, New Orleans one night and they've got a second night of a back-to-back in Dallas and he decides he's going to take the night off because it's a back-to-back, you know, that, you know, that comes into play as far as it, that would count, right? Like that, you know, that's, that's a game missed, you know, if the, now if the team and if Lillard wanted to play in that game and the team says, no, the data says that your body needs to show, you know, that you need to rest, your workload. Now that takes into it. Now that that's another kind of something that both sides, PA and in the league, will look at. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of complications to that 65 game thing. If you're going to start carving out, yeah. and I think they should. To be clear, if, but if you're going to start carving out, well, those games don't count, and those games don't count, and that game's missed don't doesn't count. Um, it's like we're going to go to arbitrate. It's almost like you're going to go to arbitration, right? Like, so if you're at 60 games and you're, you're short of five, you're almost going to take the stand and be like, well, I wanted to play in these three or four games. This would have got me to 65. I think the interesting thing is I went back and looked at the 11 players that signed Supermax contracts. Um, we're using 65 games. And the only guy that would not have been eligible was Joel Embiid. He played 51 games that year. Um, he would have been, he would have met the criteria the following year. Um, you know, when he, uh, when he earned, he earned all NBA. Well, think about the impact it would have just on, on all NBA this year. If you, if it were a hard and yeah. fast rule, Steph out, Dame out, Morant out, Harden out, like just cross them off. You don't get to consider them. Um, yeah, even like Halliburton, you take him off, right? Um, Halliburton played out. 56 games, Booker look- 51, right? Anthony Davis out, LeBron out, Kawhi out, Durant out, just out. Like you don't get to consider them; they're out. Yeah. Um, yep. And I saw some commentary about well, this. Well, voters want their lives made easier. This isn't about the the. Let me let me just assure people: whatever the voters do and do not want was not the subject of one second of discussion in the boardroom between the players' union. There, and there the was league. no. They don't was... give one crap about voter concerns. There was no third committee that was made up of media that was sitting in the hall during these negotiations. They said, you know what? We're going to bring the media in to have their, their uh, thoughts on what we're going to negotiate. No, like we, we were not part of all this. I do. I do think there should be some awards where I don't want there to be a 65 game thing. Um, I, I think, I mean, even third team, all NBA to me, is just a free for all for like, all right, let me just pick who the best guys are who it, with, with some, obviously every voter has their own sort of threshold of missed games. But I remember the rookie of the year, uh, whatever year it was when Embiid and Brogdon went one, two and rookie of the year, there were a lot of people who voted for Embiid. I think he played 30 something games that year. I voted for Brogdon because of games missed, but I was totally like, if you want to vote for Joel Embiid, cause he's like by far the best rookie per minute, 
I respect that vote. And like most rookies are just not positive, impactful players. Like I could see there being a guy who deserves rookie of the year having played 45 games. But be the, I, the, what, the other thing that I thought we'd get, and you and I have talked about this, is some, and the players would have made this, not if not quite a blood issue, a big issue, some sort of, if you sign a Supermax yeah. and then you demand a trade, you get traded, that's fine. You lose the 5% yep. of the salary that you got by signing this deal with this team. It would be the Ben Simmons rule, or we could go back and find other people. I thought, I didn't even really hear like a, was there, I didn't really hear like even a peep about that. No, and I I dug in on that because, you know, I had I had been asked by a couple teams about that. And um, it wasn't even like, you know, if there was 200 items, you know, that were going to be, you know, talked about and stuff like that. That wasn't, um, that wasn't, you know, it, that wasn't, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to prove, right? Like unless the, the agent comes out, I mean, you really have to dig deep as far as a player that asks to be traded because publicly they'll never come out and say it. Um, it will have to come through their agent. And then the team, you know, you're basically, it's like almost, as I said, you're like, you're going to arbitration is basically he said, she said, um, all right, enough CBA. Was there any other CBA thing you want to get into? Before no, we I mean, that, I mean we'll, we'll get the term sheet. I mean, there'll be. I mean, I think the big thing that people have to realize is that, like, as I said earlier, like this is going to be phased, right? Like, we'll get some of these rules in place this off season. We'll get more next off season. We got a lot of the tax stuff the 20, in 2025, 26, but this is all going to be phased in. We'll have a clear understanding when we get the term sheet. Um, certainly, we'll write about it more and say, hey, oh. The one rule we don't have, to, and I know you'll appreciate this, that we we won't have to worry about is that the limit on designated rookie and veteran exceptions anymore, as far as guys who sign super maxes. So God. the the Ben as we another Ben Simmons rule that you can't have two players that were acquired via trade. So that impacts Cleveland because they had um, Donovan Mitchell who was acquired, who had signed a super uh, you know super max. They had Garland who had signed one this past off season, and then you've got Evan Mobley up next. Next offseason, um, they would not have been able to sign Mobley um, to that big contract. Now they're able to do it because that restriction is going to be lifted. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part, each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, ooh, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Let's talk very briefly about the last remaining big race in the playoffs. Very briefly, because I know you have to go. Very likely, 90 to 100% certainty across the board. One, two, three, four, five, and six, and seven are all set. In the East, um, although Miami has a little bit more work to do to, to get seven. We shouldn't say that, but I'm just for the sake of my brain, I'm saying that that's where they end up. Um, and by the way, credit to the Nets. They fought 
and scrapped and have sort of gradually looked more like a team with an identity and not a thrown together collection of parts, the ashes of a failed super team fought and, and are going to make the playoffs. Let's assume Miami gets seventh and wins the, what are they? The Southeast division. So they, yeah. so, so yeah. then they get all the tiebreakers. and So then the Hawks don't get any tiebreakers in, in this scenario we're talking right. about. Hawks, Raptors, Bulls are eight, nine, 10. I have been told um, that uh, the Bulls and the Hawks play each other this week. Um, this is straight from the NBA. If Atlanta beats the Bulls in the event of a three-way tie, the order goes Atlanta, Toronto, Chicago. If Chicago beats the Hawks, then it's Chicago, Toronto, Atlanta. So that game in the event of a three-way tie determines who's first and who's third in the three-way tie break. Anyway, Atlanta's 39 and 39. Remarkably, they've been within one game of 500 in either direction since January 13th, every single day, just living at 500. The Raptors are 39 and 39. Uh, They have lost the tiebreaker to the Hawks, and Nick Nurse made some... um, candid slash disturbing slash shocking comments over the weekend about his longevity or potentially lack thereof with a Raptors team that is 13 and eight in its last 21 games plus 10 per 100 possessions with Pirtle on the floor their team is pretty good right now and the Bulls 38 and 40 but 9 and 14 in their last um, 13 games being eighth is a big deal um Give me a quick take on any one of these teams that you want to talk about I don't know I just trust I don't know I trust Toronto more than the other two teams I mean, I, I still, I don't call me crazy. I still like, you know, the starting five in Toronto with that group there uh, in a big game, in a playing type game, because it's like, you know, we've harped on, you know, certainly their, you know, their bench. And I mean, basically Nick's going to roll out six guys, you know, for the play in. I mean, that's going to be, he's going to play, you know, the, these guys 40 minutes, which, which they're conditioned to do. And I think, ah, man, I just, I don't trust Atlanta. Um, you know, I, you know, Chicago, the same thing. I mean, certainly that game with, uh, with the Hawks will determine a lot, but Toronto's got at, they're at Charlotte, at Boston, at Boston, Milwaukee. That's their next four. In terms of head to head tiebreak, I think, although the Bulls are only 2 1 against the Hawks with a game to play, so the Hawks could even in it too, I believe just a head to head tiebreak, leave the Raptors out. I believe the Bulls already have that because if they tied and they were 2-2 head-to-head, by definition, given their schedules, the Bulls would have a better conference record and thus win the tiebreaker no matter what. Um, I'm with you on the Raptors. I think they're they're the best of these three teams, particularly if they get Gary Trent back, who's now kind of their sixth man, and you put him and Boucher and Achua off the bench, I feel like I have enough. Their starting five makes a lot of sense. Anunobi has been on fire for a month. That's a big deal because he was his shot was a little wonky. He had a wrist injury. And I just love the way Scotty Barnes has adjusted yeah. to Pirtle's presence because Pirtle took his place as kind of the main screen setter on the team, and he's really good at that, and he's rounded out their team. But Scotty Barnes had to kind of adjust to, like, how do I pick my spots in transition, posting up mismatches, cutting backside for layups and dunks when Jakob has the ball at the nail. And he's really done a nice job. They've been they've been pretty good. Their schedules at Hornets, twice at Boston against the Bucks to wrap it up. They might have some junior varsity games to play. The Hawks, their shot selection is finally starting to Quinn Snyderify a little bit. They're getting to the rim a lot more. DeAndre Hunter's been hurt. Um, 
Boy, Onyeka Okongwu, if he, if he played more minutes, I, I yeah. he'd get a lot of six-man consideration. He's been outstanding for them. Yep. I just... Feels like a transitional year for the Hawks. They just can never get it together. I don't like watching them play very much. This is a spectator experience. It's just like Trey Young floater, DeJounte Murray floater, Trey Young floater, DeJounte Murray floater. Okay, you take a floater, I'll take a three. Don't like watching it, but they have talent. And the Bulls, credit to them, man. Fifth in defense. Fifth in defense. It's a big deal, this race for eight. Any any hot takes on the Hawks or the Bulls? No, I mean, I think you're right. I would land. I mean, especially when when Quinn took over and, um, you know, right after the All-Star break, it was almost like, not, I don't want to say throwaway year, but like the last 25 games was going to be an audition as far as what he wanted to keep and what, you know, what worked and what didn't work here. Um, so I think, you know, they'll be in the play-in. Um, I mean, I, I think certainly for them to get out of the play-in, I think they're going to have to stay in that in that eight-hole Right. I mean, like winning two games is not easy. Like same with Toronto, like to win. Yeah. Hey, you get a home game and then you got to go on the road and win a game that that is not easy. So I think, you know, any of these teams, you know, getting to eight is certainly going to be the priority. No. And, 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 you know, Toronto is a tough place to play. The bulls have been playing pretty well of late. Um, I like their starting five with Caruso and Beverly and, Kobe White and Pat Williams off the bench has been good. The Derek Jones and Drummond kind of splitting backup center has been good. I'll tell you, man, I've never been a big Zach Levine guy. I mean, I I, I put him on my all-star team a couple seasons ago. Like, I think he's a very, very good player with some obvious flaws that, that the num like for a lot of score first guards who, who are minuses on defense, the numbers kind of don't add up to as much winning impact as you'd like, but I think he's averaging 25, four and four on 49% shooting 38% from three 56% on two. I, I don't, I, I just think kind of people are sleeping on his season a little bit after he got off to such a slow start with the knee injury. He, he's, he's still just a shot maker extraordinaire. No one's even mentioning him. And I don't think he should be all NBA. I'm not going to have him all NBA. He's like not even on people's long lists for all NBA. DeRozan is, he's not. I think he's just kind of become a little underrated. I think he's played the second most games out of, out of all guards as far as right behind Anthony Edwards, as far as for, you know, this pool of all NBA guards that we're, that we're talking about here. And I think, I think that that's the, the reason why, like, you know, people call for Chicago to eventually pivot or retool this roster and stuff like that. Guys like that are hard to, you know, t- take out the price tag and what the cost is like guys like that are hard to find in this league. And I'll tell you, Chicago, if they get that Hawks win, that gets them to 39 and 40. At Milwaukee, they could get the backup Bucks. At Dallas, they could get the backup Mavs. Home to Detroit. If they get that Hawks game, they could run the table and be 42 and 40 and be in that 7-8 bracket. And given all the trauma, all the trade rumors, all the disappointment, all the Lonzo stuff and how sad that is, 42 and 40, you get into the playoffs – that's it, it's not a great outcome but it it feels it feels better than it than it looked like it was going to feel a month ago now having said that now that i've said that they'll probably lose to the hawks by 20 and lose to the pistons on the last day of the season even though the pistons might be playing three guys in an effort to just end their season um none of these teams particularly expiring but to me toronto with the way Ananobi is shooting the introduction of Pirtle, if they get trent back 
that's the team that if I'm, I mean, it's going to be Milwaukee or Boston, so they don't hey, really but care. That, like, yeah, but that's, I mean. It's not pleasant, but it's going to be a win. I think if I'm, if I'm Milwaukee, I would rather have Chicago. I, you know, Toronto's, I mean, they'll be feisty. Yeah, you know, Chicago, Chicago, you could take a you could take a bus right. from Milwaukee to Chicago. Hop on a hop on a couple of luxury buses, drive down there. They beat the Bulls. I mean, they lived this series in the playoffs already last year, although the Bulls were totally injured. Um that's those are the last remaining moments of suspense. Thankfully, Bobby, the CBA suspense is not that there ever was any. I was for the last two of these, I've been on team no one is going to touch the Golden Goose, but it's nice to just have it done, right? Thank goodness, right? We do not want to be doing this in late late June. No, Bobby Marks indispensable and will be especially indispensable this week and in the next couple of weeks because a when you get more details, I assume yeah. we will get some more Bobby Marks analysis of the CBA and b in an annual tradition unlike any other. What is the master slogan? A tradition uh, unlike a tradition any other, like no or whatever. Other. <laughs> um, every every team that gets eliminated, Bobby oh, Marks will common, have brother. your will have your obituary. Uh, get ready, ready next and Monday. All. So so let's see. You can already get ready. Detroit, San Antonio. I already, Antonio. Got, I already got nine written. I already got ten written. The I Wizards. The written. Wizards have a little E next to their name now. I already got ten written. They're ready to fire now. It's a matter of who that tenth is going to be. Is it going to be Dallas? Going to be Oklahoma City? Like it's you know. Bobby Marks, thank you, sir. Thank you, buddy. See ya. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.